Hello, welcome to The Elephant. I'm Kevin Canners. A protest in Portland, Oregon, getting a lot of attention this morning because demonstrators there are dangling from the city's tallest bridge. At least 13 climbers from Greenpeace are trying to prevent Shell Oil's icebreaker ship from leaving. If I'm asked to do something like this again, I, would, I wouldn't hesitate. Maybe even 45 kayaks or canoes, maybe even more. Some of them are manned by two people, some of them are just solo. And everybody here just hoping to be able to stay in the middle of the limit for as long as they can. Those are a few sounds from direct on the ground climate actions that are taking place around the world in just the past couple of months. And I'm playing those because we're going to be doing something special on the elephant in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be bringing you the stories of a few of these actions, spotlighting creative on-the-ground protests that are challenging the fossil fuel industry, and profiling the people who are taking part of them, who aren't waiting for leaders from above to solve the problem for us. Now, there are lots of parallel efforts on the demand side of the carbon question, making the point that we need to make investments in renewable energy and put a price on CO2. But these actions we're highlighting are making the point on the supply side of the equation, arguing that since scientists tell us we can't burn the vast majority of fossil fuels we have, that the best thing to do would be to stop investing in the stuff and stop going to new extremes of the earth to find more of it to dig up. Among the most exciting of these direct actions is the divestment movement, which groups around the world are putting pressure on colleges, funds, and charitable trusts to sell their holdings in fossil fuel companies. It's premised on the idea that these massive corporations whose profits are based on a model that sees the destruction of the world's climate as nothing more than an unfortunate side effect, should be delegitimized. The movement is quickly growing, and it's already racked up some impressive wins, including Stanford University, the World Council of Churches, and Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund. In almost every case, these institutions have divested directly because of the pressure applied to them by committed grassroots groups, and nowhere in the world is that more active than at colleges and universities. So today we're bringing you just one story highlighting that type of pressure and the type of inspiring actions taking place by students at universities and colleges all around the world. This is a piece from independent radio producer Phoebe Petrovic called The Story of a Sit-In. In March, we asked the administration to account for the social justice implications of their investments in the form of the exploitation that the fossil fuel industry commits on communities. Uh, I'm Phoebe Chatfield. Um, I'm a rising sophomore at Yale um, and a member of the group Fossil Free Yale. Across the country last spring, there were campuses with organizations just like Fossil Free Yale who were all feeling a lack of response and a lack of engagement from their administrations. We decided that it was time to take direct action on our campus. We were sort of pulling on a pretty rich history and we decided to do a sit-in. 
All of a sudden, it was April 9th, but it was the day that we had decided for the sit-in. We gathered with about all 50 of the students in a building nearby, and then we sort of formed a little line, and we sort of tiptoed across the courtyard and, and opened the door of the building and filed inside. We had come into the space prepared to stay for as many as three days, depending on how our negotiations with the administration went. I think we were feeling pretty resolute that we weren't going to leave unless they offered to take us up on a request to engage with us further on this issue. The tone was not really what you would expect for civil disobedience, I don't think. We had made it inside. We were feeling relieved. For the most part, we just sat on our computers and we had lunch there. You know, in the middle of the day, we'd brought peanut butter and rice crackers and apples inside. They were fine with us being there, so long as we left by about 5 p.m. when the office closed. And for all of the morning, you know, the tone was really pretty calm and pleasant. At about 3 in the afternoon, the tone of the room started to change a little bit. Things got a little bit less comfortable inside. We had heard from Chelsea and Nathan, two members of our group who were negotiating with the administration, that things weren't going well and that it looked as though they weren't going to agree to engage with us and that they were going to move to forcefully, forcefully remove us from the space if we didn't leave by about five. Once it was clear that we weren't going to leave willingly, the head secretary gathered us together and had us sit on the staircase. There we were, all 50 of us, in little rows on this big, ornate marble staircase. And we were sitting there, you know, kind of nervous and fidgety, listening to her read this speech. The speech she read, I think, came mostly from maybe the Yale Handbook or one of those waivers that we'd had to sign at the beginning of the year. It was filled with words like breaking the code of the university and non-permissible spaces and permanently separated from the university. And just as she's reading this, we started to hear outside a big crowd of students. We could hear chanting and singing and the Native American drum group started to play. I think word had gotten out that we are going to be arrested. And it was really clear to me in that moment that even though our administrators weren't going to listen to us, that we had the support of the student body and that what we were doing sort of fit into a long line of, of populist protest and resistance that felt really meaningful. Sitting on the stairs about to get arrested was completely surreal. My head was pounding, my heart was pumping really fast, and I was imagining all the scenarios that could happen. And for a moment, I think I doubted what we were doing. But then I looked around at the 19 people sitting next to me. Kind of out of nowhere, we just started singing. We sang this protest song that one of our members had taught us. The lyrics are, they told us it was over. They told us the world gets colder. They told us it was too much on our shoulders, but we believe that we will win. In the end, what happened is they processed us one by one. We were told multiple times that it was a non-custodial arrest. 
where they would process this on site, but that would count on our records as an arrest. After I got my paperwork done, I walked outside of the building. I'd heard the crowds from inside, but only faintly. Walking outside, I could see hundreds of students there, and they'd formed a big line or, or a little hallway for us to walk through. It was really incredible to see the sort of support that was there and kind of was another surreal experience out of a pretty crazy day. The sit-in was really important for Fossil for Yale as an organization. Really what we wanted out of it was to show the administration that we're really serious about working with them and that we're willing to put ourselves at risk for that engagement. I can't say that I know that we were successful in that way. It was pretty disheartening to me the blatant disrespect that we received from the administration and has left me a bit unsettled about what the opportunities may be for future engagement. The predictions about climate change are dire and getting more so every day. And it's tempting sometimes to want to turn our heads away, to ignore that. Even sometimes this summer I've wanted to turn away from this work because it is so difficult in that way. But something from the day is really sticking with me. Something from the sit-in. I know that I'm not alone in the way that I feel about this. I know that I'm not alone in the desperation and incredible hope that I feel, hope that we can turn this around. As of right now, Fossil Free Yale is gearing up for another year. We're definitely going to keep working on divestment at Yale. And I hope that the administration now can see how serious we are about that. That story came to us from radio producer Phoebe Petrovic. While Yale University has still not divested, the campaign is ongoing by Fossil Free Yale. And the new wins continue. Just last week, the University of California caved to pressure by students there and announced it was divesting from all coal and tar sands-related holdings. To learn more about the divestment movement or to start a group of your own, you can go to gofossilfree.org. And that's all for this mini episode of The Elephant. The Elephant is made by myself, Kevin Keeners, with Matthias Gutz and Christina Peters, and with funding from the CKAA. You can find us online at elephantpodcast.org or subscribe to us in iTunes. Special thanks again to Phoebe Petrovic for sharing that story. I'm Kevin Keeners. See you next time. <laughs>